Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer, living and working in Chicago, Illinois. On this show, I interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. We're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level from white supremacy, late-stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am very happy to have you here. Conversations with a Wounded Healer is one of the things that I get to do in my life that I keep coming back to that really brings me joy. And finding joy at times like these, as I talked about on the last intro, is so important. Something else that I've been thinking about that I just wanted to wanted to muse about with you today is the intersection between our responsibility to like do something in the world and not being personally responsible to change the world. Okay. So that might seem like two completely opposite things, but as we've talked about before on this podcast, I think that where we are in the world is shifting and opening space between binaries. And I think that's what's going on here. So One of the things that I have been contemplating for quite some time now is my privilege and my internalized racial superiority as a white body and what that means and how that impacts the way that I move through the world. And one of the symptoms of internalized racial superiority is this feeling of perfectionism and responsibility. And so when that comes to the social justice realm, like last time we talked about Roe v. Wade and what we're supposed to do, and it feels like it's so heavy and everything right now. But when I think about it, I can't, I can't overturn the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I don't know what the legal political term is, right? I'm sure it's, it's a, maybe it's reversal. I don't know. Anyway, so I cannot single-handedly do the thing or do anything that is going to make a difference, right? So the pressure that I put on myself to take action, that in and of itself is a product of white supremacy. That's a product of feeling like I have the power to do this, right? And I pressure myself to do the thing and my thing is the thing, right? That part of it is white supremacy. On the other hand, wanting to take action as a part of a community so that I know that I'm doing my part, (laughs) right? And are you like, as I'm saying this, my mind is even like not able to really register the right words because I'm trying to find this intersection that I don't think actually fits in my brain. I've been teetering on the sides of either overwhelm and I can't do anything Or I'm feeling really fired up and I'm pressuring myself to do everything. And what I want to just keep reminding myself, and it's an invitation for you too. And actually, as I say this, I'm kind of like doing a little teeter-totter motion with my body, which is maybe this embodied social justice course is rubbing off on me because I'm I'm physicalizing this experience. (laughs) Is physicalizing a word? I don't know. Don't judge me. So I'm I'm experiencing this teeter-totter between the overwhelm and between the pressure. And I want to like land in this balanced sweet spot of feeling a capacity to take action from a place of wholeness. Ooh, 
Wow. As I said that, that landed somewhere. So I don't know if any of this makes any sense to you, but I'm guessing that it probably does. And I just wanted to share that that I'm working on for myself. And maybe it is a gift and help to some of you. Maybe it is not. And that is okay too. Wherever you are right now, truthfully, in the world, it's where you are. And so let's have grace for one another. Let's have compassion for one another. Let's support one another because that's the only way we're going to get through this is together. So I wanted to invite you all, speaking of togetherness, I don't know if you've noticed, but we are inching ever so slowly towards our 200th episode. Holy shit. I've been doing this show for almost five years now. We've almost gotten to 200. It's so cool and it's so crazy. And what I am asking for is your voice. I mentioned in the last intro that we have a little leave a voicemail sort of thing you can do for us instead of like calling like a weirdo and leaving a voicemail. Who does that? Now we go to websites and we leave voicemails because it's so different for whatever reason. But you can tell me what the show has meant to you. Anything and literally anything you can say. You can just be like, hi, Sarah, and it will warm my heart. Um, But you can do that at a place called Teleby. And the URL is HTTPS colon slash slash speak S-P-E-A-K dash two T-O dot U-S slash convos with a wounded healer. If you want to like do it the old fashioned way too, you could also just email me a voice memo from your phone. You can use the info at headhearttherapy.com email. And I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what these 200 episodes have meant to you. Who's your favorite guest? What have you learned? Anything, literally anything. Please, please let us know. And then lastly, just a reminder that we do have a Patreon. So you can search for Conversations with a Wounded Healer on Patreon. If you feel inclined to share any financial support for the show, it is so greatly appreciated. You can donate as little as a dollar and you can stop your commitment at any time. If you could rate us on Spotify, there's a little place where you can give us stars. I mean, please give us five stars, but I'm not the boss of you, so I can't tell you what to do. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, which is amazing. And then follow me on Instagram at Head Heart Therapy. So those are all the ways you can stay connected. And now let me tell you about today's amazing guest. Today's guest is Liz Dubay a certified sex therapist, coach, and licensed marriage and family therapist. She loves working with people who want to better understand themselves sexually and feel sexually empowered. She's helped thousands of men, women, and couples feeling stuck sexually and is working her ass off to save the world one bedroom at a time. So please enjoy this wonderful conversation with my friend Liz Dubay. Hello, Liz Dubay. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. No, thanks for having me. I needed to say your name that way because it's very sensual. Ugh, I try Dubé. to be yeah, as sexy <laughs> as possible versus doobie, which is the way right. I grew up. <laughs> oh, real? Oh, really? No. So you changed it? No. Oh, no. But it's just like that's what I people call me doobie, and I think, oh, that reminds me of you know. That makes Back sense. Back in days, what we used to call stuff we don't call that. Marijuana. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. My maiden name is Lukey. And uh-huh. the favorite 
bully nickname that someone gave me was Sarah Hakaluki. <laughs> oh man. It was funny. It was, it was funny. funny yeah. But yeah, it did. I mean, you couldn't do much with Lukey, but people pr- mispronounced it all the time. So, yeah. Whatever. Growing up, I was Walker. So, that was, there was not a lot you could do with that. Yeah. Yeah. Funny. Well, hi. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to just have a conversation and see where it goes. And yeah. Who the hell knows where we're going to end up? That's what's so fun about these conversations, right? It's like, are we going to go down a black hole? Well, only if it's fun. Right? TBD. (laughs) Well, why don't you start with sharing a little bit more about you? I obviously have done your brilliant intro, but like, just tell folks from your lips, who are you? Who am I? Well, I mean, I'm a sex therapist. I'm a sex coach, but I don't have sex with my clients. I'd make way more money if I did that. Right. That's a thing in California, isn't it? Like sex surrogacy. Yes, it's totally legal. So I I do actually work with sex surrogates, but yeah, I don't do that myself. I just do the talking mm-hmm. and mostly the listening. Mm-hmm. It's work that I love. It doesn't feel like work. It feels like what I was meant to do. Mm. And I see people in person in Long Beach. Thank goodness that I can see them in person because I'm an extrovert and that's what I like to do. And then I'm always trying to communicate, communicate in other ways out to the world so that I can heal the world one bedroom at a time. And (laughs) (laughs) I like that. That is a great fucking tagline right there. I have so much fun with that. That is. And uh, so I guess, yeah, I'm a mom, I'm a partner, I'm a sister, uh, you know, all those roles that tend to be challenging and wonderful at the same time. But definitely when I identify, I think about myself as a sex and relationship therapist. That's awesome. And what's your therapist origin story? I love to hear these. Why did you become a therapist? Where did it begin? Oh my gosh. It's like, okay, was it listening to Dr. Ruth when I was 16 on the radio? That was huge. Mm. But I didn't really connect those dots. I think I connected the dots my mom was really progressive. She was like a flower child. I don't know. She was a hippie. And Did you grow up in California? I grew up in California, yeah. And my mom was just really open about sex and sexuality. And there wasn't shame associated with it. There were less boundaries, less rigidity with it. And so I saw that perspective. And I think mm. that's so framed the way that I view the world. Mm. And I'm also a survivor of sexual trauma as a kid. Same, same. Same, same in the club. And uh, unfortunately, but at the same time, it's like I am a survivor. And the way that my mom handled it was so healing. Mm, wow. And I saw how different that affected me compared to friends that I knew were also struggling with this. And they had either not been able to, it hadn't come out. Or the parents didn't handle it in effective ways. Mm-hmm. And that was so big for me. I don't think I knew at the time. I didn't know until I became a therapist that that was why right. I was looking at sex as something to look forward to rather than something mm-hmm. that's shameful or to avoid or something to use for power. And so I think that that was what was so lovely is that it was handled in a really healthy way. 
Wow. That is really special. That yeah. is. Ooh, thanks, mom. Damn. Yeah. Thanks, mom. You know, I mean, there were some things that were a little crazy, like, I'll kill that motherfucker. Yeah. You know, we're going to put everybody on him and we're going to kill that motherfucker. And for me as a kid, that felt really uh, comforting. To have somebody want to come to your rescue like that instead of yeah. shaming you or questioning you and not believing you, you yes. know? Wow. Yeah. So I think that that was so, so healing. It wasn't a profession that I entered into from a get-go. I mean, I thought I'd be, I don't know, friggin' secretary. I didn't really think that I could be a successful business owner or mm -hmm. healer, educator. And so this was my second career that evolved out of my previous career. I have a master's in industrial organizational psych and cool. I did that work for like 10 years and mm. it was interesting. I liked helping people in that way, but it wasn't like juicy and like got me excited about life. And I think that that's what was different about the topic of sex is mm. I was making all these connections, these psychological connections growing up, seeing, oh, how do things affect people in life? Mm-hmm. Why are my friends struggling sexually and I'm not? And we both yeah. had trauma. And so those things, you know, were something that I saw. And then um, from a healthy perspective, just like friends who wanted information, it was fun to be able to wonder who had the accurate information to be able to be the kind of assigned sex therapist, the unofficial assigned sex <laughs> therapist. Like what's that? What's the show on Netflix? Sex Education. Sex Education. Right. Yeah. Oh, I love that yeah. show. Love, love, love. I feel so bad for my kids because I'm like, oh my God, my kids are so like, relating that's me. to this. <laughs> like, my mom. Oh, I hate it, mom. Quit talking about sex, mom. Stop talking about my vulva. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. So it just, it was something that I was like, oh, I want to help. I, like I saw myself as overcoming this and wanting to help other people overcome, but then also really excited about people who didn't have any trauma, but wanted to bring themselves to the next level of sexual empowerment. Mm. And that's something that excited me because that's fun. When I meet people at a cocktail party, they say, what do you do? It's like, well, I'm either really fun and they're like picking my brain yeah. or they run away yeah, because yeah. they're like, oh, hell no, I don't want to talk to this lady. Yeah, And so, um, the two sides of sex are just because I think I just relate to both of them that it's just such a perfect fit for me. Oh, my God, you can edit out five minutes of that story. Jeez, I went on forever. No, why? That was long. <laughs> I don't it's know. It's the just point. Like, it's such a long. It's the evolution. It's that, and that's the point. That's why I asked the question. I, I find it interesting and I think other folks do, too. Yeah, good. Yeah. Well, so I'll just tell you what's coming up for me. The last time I interviewed a sex therapist in particular, I got super triggered out of nowhere, did not expect it. It was this big thing. And what had happened last time that I'm already noticing starting now is that it's hard for me to ask questions. Mm -hmm. So it's funny because the way that I ask questions is this relatable piece, but I am like, I'm in the thick of healing the sexual trauma stuff. And it's, it's weird because I don't even really know what happened, but all the providers I ever worked with are like, oh, yeah, you definitely were like sexually abused as a child. And I'm like, cool. Mm -hmm. How? What? Where? Like, and I have a bunch of different theories. So I just want to name that I am feeling clumsy. Yeah. And I imagine listeners are probably like, 
why is she so quiet? Why is she so, cause I'm just, mm -hmm. yeah, there's a spot where I'm like, okay, don't go into that deep, scary spot and like trigger the fuck out of yourself again. But uh, yeah, I bet, you know, I bet you work with these people. <laughs> Yeah, I work with these people mm -hmm. and um, it is what it is. Right. I, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what to say about yeah. that. It's like you being able to show up as your authentic self with me. I totally appreciate that. And you're in the work and it's complicated and it's messy. Mm -hmm. And the world that we live in is so fucked up sexually. Like, mm -hmm. you know, sex is power. Sex is shame. Sex is so many really painful and amazing, wonderful things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in a world where we are generally so disembodied, that's something that I'm coming to recognize because I'm also simultaneously doing this embodied social justice course. And I'm noticing all of the resistance to being in my body, even in other work, right? Not related to sex. There's something about this healing process right now in the embodiment. And yeah, it's just, it's a lot. Yeah, I think embodiment is just so important for people, whether they had trauma or not, is that some people, and trauma can just be ickiness. Right. It can just be, I was exposed to stuff that I shouldn't have been exposed to. Yes. And that makes me feel really icky. And as a kid, when you're exposed to that and you feel like I have nowhere to go, when I'm going to go like hide in my room, maybe, but that doesn't feel safe if you have to hear right. things that you don't feel safe hearing. But whatever levels of trauma, however you define that, and whether you didn't have it or not, is embodiment is so essential to being able to have sex in the way I think it was meant to be. Connection and pleasure. Mm -hmm. That's all. Connection and pleasure. Whatever you can do. Yeah. I mean, and I think pleasure is something that I'm going to say this and then somebody's going to get mad, but I'm going to say it anyway. Obviously, the patriarchy doesn't want women to access pleasure. And I would say that Christianity also likes to diminish pleasure. And given that we're in a very Christian-centered country and definitely patriarchal society, those two aspects really, really block people's ability to connect to pleasure, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I'm always saying women have been socialized for sacrifice. Oof. This is the way that we've been socialized. Mm -hmm. I think men are much more socialized towards pleasure. Right. And this is why we often see such discrepancy. Pleasure by domination, right? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, say more. You don't like that. That's fine. Tell me why. I think under the umbrella of patriarchy that you speak of, yes. Mm -hmm, right. But I think that for evolved men, of which I surround myself with, yeah, they are always looking at that. And I don't know that it's completely through domination because I think that there's lots of men who they get off on seeing their women get off. Right. They get off on being able to be a giver and to contain her in ways that aren't about domination, but are about safety mm -hmm. and uh, nurturing. And so I think that both the negative piece of patriarchy and then the non-patriarchy people, men, people that identify as men, they have been socialized towards pleasure. And, you know, one is maybe 
we look at more negatively and something that they took. Mm-hmm. And another I look at as, I don't know. Well, what's really interesting about that. So, I mean, it, I feel weird sometimes like centering myself in these interviews, but like this is the the only way I know how to have a conversation is to relate by, with my own experience. So mm-hmm. please forgive me. But we're talking about because you get to show off, right? As soon as I tell you these things, that's <laughs> that, that's how it works. Like I tell you something about me and then you show off how amazing you are. Oh my God, I love that. I never thought about yes. that. That's so awesome. That's right. why I like podcasts. That's why I like being on them. <laughs> exactly. So I was talking with, I've been working with this spiritual healer about all this stuff. And the thing that we recognize, because when you talk about men who really get pleasure from seeing the pleasure of their partner. That's my husband. And what I really came to on a like deeper embodied level is this understanding that it's unsafe because whatever level of trauma I experienced, I needed to be disembodied to protect myself. And so what seems exciting to me and what turns me on is the opposite of how loving and intimately wonderful and caring my husband is. Oh my God. Yeah. All that intimacy is just fucking overwhelming. Right. I'm guessing that whatever my experience was, something was taken without my consent. And so to have someone not only like be so like uber consensual and like really just want to focus on my happiness and pleasure, like that's, it's like too much. Yeah. I think there's so many elements of that. I think the first thing that came to mind as you were finishing the sentence, which may not be relevant for you, is that performing, like sometimes for yeah. women, if we, if we're in a place of the guy is all about taking or the partner is all about taking, right? Then we are in a performance space. We're doing what we're supposed to do. And that is not necessarily what we want to do. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we are connected with our bodies or our pleasure. Right. And so we are showing up in ways that are more uh, performance focused. Right. Then the other piece I think about is sure what you said. And then I was thinking one other piece is that if you have a really connected and intimate relationship outside the bedroom and you still struggle with maybe a part of you that thinks I'm not enough. Oh, yeah. That I'm defective, I'm broken, I'm a fraud, whatever, right? (laughs) All those things that Mm -hmm. that so many of us relate to, Mm -hmm. that that might show up in the bedroom where like, this is the one last thing I'm holding on to. Mm-hmm. And if I show you myself in the bedroom, right, then all is unveiled and finally you will see me for who I am and you will leave me. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's what I said instead of sobbing. I'm trying to hold back. But that, yes. Yeah. And it's so funny how that used to be so obvious. I think the healing that I've done, it's so much more subtle. The words that you said are true, but in a really deep level, not just in the surface level that I'm walking around with that every day. Yeah. All the time. Yeah, because right? your logical brain is like, fuck that shit. Use a badass. I'm awesome. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at you. You got your own podcast. You're writing a book. I got my peacock hair. I know you got shit going on, girl. <laughs> and then there's the emotional part. Right. 
Yeah, that emotional part just goes so fucking deep. Oh, my God. And the spiritual, it's spiritual wounding, too. It's its all interconnected. When you say spiritual, do you mean like generational? Or because I, I don't I don't know what that word means exactly when you say that. That's a really beautiful question. Um, Like your soul or I don't know. Yes, I feel like. It's hard to talk about because it feels beyond language and the beyond language part might just be like prenatal or early life trauma. And I'm not quite sure, but there's there's something in this that's connected to my soul's evolution. And I don't know really what that means, but being connected to things greater than myself, connecting to knowledge beyond the typical like concrete science things like that feels really important and like that that's what fucking turns me on right now fucking talk to me about astrology (laughs) (laughs) or past lives bring it oh Um, yeah yeah i don't know what would it tell me about spirituality for you what does that mean for you okay i'm speechless too let's see um Okay, so when I think about spirituality, it's like when I am in the redwood forest. It's like when Mm -hmm. I am in the ocean. It's when I'm looking out into the water for miles and seeing nothing and Mm -hmm. feeling so small. And that for me is spirituality. Yes. And then I think that when I've been in a life-threatening experiences where I used prayer in the way that I was taught as a kid. Mm. There's that spirituality is like, fuck, I hope there's something more than me that could help save me through this. And I don't Mm -hmm. know that I'm necessarily praying to God or a higher power so much as I'm praying for the strength to overcome and to make it through that situation. Yeah, yeah. Do you consider yourself atheist or agnostic or what's your jam? You know what? I kind of like no labels when it comes to that, you know? There you go. Yeah, because yeah. I don't know. You know, I mean, yeah. my partner is Catholic and I, I tease him about Catholicism mm-hmm. and I'll make jokes and sometimes he'll, you know, he'll laugh along with me sometimes and sometimes he gets pissed where he's like, that's not cool. Right. Don't insult the Pope. I know that. They don't like that. You're like, you're pushing the limits here, baby. And I appreciate his mm-hmm. faith. I, I appreciate people having their faith Mm -hmm. but uh, for me i just go ah how many labels you know i know that there's got i feel like there's got to be something more than me there has to be at least aliens yeah if nothing else there's got to be aliens if nothing else yeah seriously i just don't want to be alone in all this you know right yeah but the idea of like now see i'm gonna have a vulnerability hangover after this Sorry, <laughs> that was a little debolical laugh. This is the one that's tough for me. Where I feel bad when my clients want to know my religious beliefs because it's so hard. It's like, I don't want them to think that I'm my beliefs are influencing. Fuck yeah, I want you to gain strength however way you want to gain your strength. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm, we're going to have, just like I have a different relationship than other people are going to have. Right. Uh, but for some reason, when it comes to religion, people feel like if I'm not in your camp, then somehow I'm judging you or shaming you. And so this is such a tough, it actually, yeah. it hurts my heart. Because so many people have been hurt by yeah. religiosity. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and at the same time, I, I, I think there are a lot of people that it's been helpful for, because I think they were probably able to filter out mm-hmm. a lot of yucky stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take a deep breath. Yeah. And I'm going to say no labels. Yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah. I mean, when I think about what kickstarted my spirituality, really, it was my parents dying And like, so that's a traumatic experience. So of course I looked to something greater than myself, right? Like that makes a ton of sense. And, and like you're talking about in those like life-threatening moments, that's where you go. Like maybe that's, there's something in our wiring and our human wiring that looks for that in times of pain. Yeah. You know, it's funky because, uh, I remember hearing you say that you're both your, it was Mm -hmm, both your parents have passed, right? in another podcast and i have the same story is similar yeah really <gasps> dead, parents, dead club, parents club another club that we, we share that people don't want to join <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. how old were you i think 31 31 no 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 33 33 was it at the same time yes but not together this it's just same. the weirdest the thing fuck? they were divorced and they died same. three months of each other. Nine months for me, but it's fucking same. That's so That's weird. crazy. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And yes, that changes a person. That shapes a lot. And I imagine, given what you already shared about your mother, that must have been devastating in so many ways. Yeah. You know, we had a very complicated relationship. I think I'm, I, I probably speak of her in better ways now. That uh, oh, that's helpful for me. <laughs> totally. You know what? I think it's having um, older children because when my kids were mm. younger, I was very angry at her. When they were younger, I thought, "Why the fuck? You should have done more to protect mm. me." As I was raising my kids and sacrificing and reading books and working mm. every day to be better. Mm-hmm. And um, and then my kids, you know, I have a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old. Mm. And then I saw how fucking hard it is. Like, like it's mm. hard when they're younger. Um, but they're not mean to you like they are when they're teenagers. <laughs> Quit being dicks. Oh, my God. They're so <laughs> mean. And so I think then it, I finally empathized with her. And she was a single mom. She had it much harder than I did. I had like a united front until my kids were older. Mm-hmm. I have, I've only been divorced like maybe over six years. Mm-hmm. And so I think, shit, man, like it's hard. And she did it all of herself. And mm. uh, so now I think I have more empathy towards her. I was, I was still, I still struggle with, you know, clients will say, will I ever stop being angry? And my parents like, Fuck, I don't know. I'm still struggling, you know, 17 years after they've died. 18 right. years almost. Such a hard, complicated relationship with mm-hmm. our parents. And I struggle with the, she did the best she could. I really struggle with that because, yeah. Um, but as a parent right now, I, I, I'm, I'm saying that to my kids. Like, I did the best I could, man. I read. I remember having a stack of parenting books to try to figure out, like, no matter how many psychology degrees you get, okay, I got three of them. 
And that doesn't do shit for being able to self-regulate when your children yes. are doing crazy, you know, when they're, when they're pushing you and pushing you and pushing you. And so it's so, yes. so hard. And so being able to figure out and get as many tools as I could and going back and saying, I really do think at the moment I did the best I could. And maybe there was more that I could have done, you know? And, and so I have a hard time even saying that out loud because I didn't accept it when my mom said it. Right. I was like, you really think that was the best you could do? Are you fucking kidding me? So, right. And if my, and right. If my brother listens to this podcast, he'll be so pissed. He'll be like, mom did do the best she could. <laughs> so, you know, siblings yeah. have totally different interpretations. Right, right, right. Well, it sounds like we also have a similar dynamic <laughs> there. My brother does not listen to this podcast. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, she did, quote unquote, do the best she could, but it still wasn't good enough. And like, I would imagine the hard part is that your kids also get to say that. And then this is exactly why I didn't fucking have children, because I knew I couldn't tolerate doing it, quote unquote, wrong mm -hmm. in their eyes. Like, I like am having a, an internal visceral like volcano explosion thinking of what that must be like to hold that as a parent that like you of course and of course you fail in some way mm -hmm. like everyone does yeah that's really fucking painful yeah i would say the most painful thing and you and i could have a good competition with uh who's got the most trauma oh fun yeah. we should do we that. Should do that. Let's, let's do like a, let's do a timeline we should Right. We should do a um an Instagram live and like just be like, we'll like hold up cards. Like, did you go through this trauma? Yes. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. My partner is always saying things like he says, you know, you always got to one up me on traumas, traumas, <laughs> injuries, whatever. Oh and I tell God. him I always win, don't I? And he said, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately. That's funny. That's funny. Wow. Well. We're about halfway through now, and I haven't asked you the the very important healer questions. So I think we should get Let's to that. Do it. So, Let's get down to business. Yeah. Do you consider yourself a healer? I don't know. It's like so no, <laughs> no labels, labels, baby. <laughs> I like that. You know, I think that if I referred to myself as a healer, I would feel I would have some serious imposter syndrome mixed with mm. that it wouldn't feel good it just wouldn't feel right and if somebody said like you're in the healers club okay i could join that club with like the yogis and the reiki okay. masters and the like i could be in the mm -hmm. club sure we have jackets do you okay i want mine to have a capital a in the middle <laughs> wait for what a for what is it anarchy sure okay or is it the scarlet letter I don't know oh, which one. Or both. Or both. Or asshole. I get to be asshole. Right? So we don't, I don't even, I'm just freaking riffing now. Um, so, yeah, it just it would feel a little egotistical to actually say, mm. you know, healer. You know, put all my letters and then comma healer. Like, that just feels a little egotistical. Yeah, well, I'm not advocating that anyone put this on their business card. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. The, the way I think about it, I think we all have the capacity to be a healer. And when I think about the people that I've worked with and not even just like my clients, but like 
I do have a healing quality that helps other people transform. And I would say any good therapist can say that about themselves, right? As well as any other insert, whatever, yoga teacher, artist, like, right, whatever. And so I think it is a club thing though, right? Because if it were just me, then no, absolutely not. You're right. Imposter syndrome, too much pressure. But because I think it's a club already, that probably is what makes Mm -hmm. it easier for me to say, yeah, I'm a fucking healer. Yeah. So yeah, I'll order Mm -hmm. your jacket. Just let me know what size you want later. And the, you know, special A embroidered. We can do that. Yeah. We should make jackets. Ooh. Who wants to buy a jacket? Yeah. Sorry, I don't want to make this. I want mine to say badass along with badass. Ooh. Badass healer. Badass healer. Okay. Oh, okay. Maybe we should make these jackets. I don't know. Just saying. Well, what about what about the or maybe just a pair of panties? Okay, I don't want those. But no, no, I want those so bad because I feel like you know when you have sex with me, baby, you are healed. <laughs> See, that is a very that is a special skill that right now I do not possess. So yeah, oh, it's funny. Yeah, the panties yeah. thing. I'm like, mm, like I think my vagina just clenched when you said that. So that oh. <laughs> That's just yeah. a representation of my current <laughs> oh, traumatic healing oh, experience. Oh. It's fine. Yes. But we can okay, make the panties well, for you. Let's revisit that in a couple of years. Right. Yeah. Years. Oh, yeah. I said that to my healer guy the other day. I'm like, like, can I be healed? I was in the space of like, I can't. Like, I clearly can't. It's never going to happen. Yeah. I've already been in this like shithole for four years. And, uh, and he was like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, but is it going to be years, Daryl? Is it going to be years? Just sobbing. Oh, um, you know. yeah. You know, I mean, days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, and then there you have a yep. year. And so I, I, like, I think that when we look at years, it feels like a lifetime. But you think, like, look at how many years you are now. Did that really, like, like you blinked and a year happened. Mm-hmm. And it's so well, two years, yeah, COVID gone. Everything has changed. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh my god. So I don't know. I, I, um, you know, just one day at a time, baby. Mm-hmm. One day at a time. But if we have to look and say, yeah, this is going to be a two-year process, I guess I just find that comforting in some ways to say mm-hmm. it's a couple of years because I feel like most great things in my life have taken a couple of years to get to. Mm-hmm. And, I like that and reframe. So, yeah, and you know. Other things are going to be happening. You're not going to, you know, it's like your nose is not to the grind and that's all you're doing. You're all these other things are happening in life. You're doing all these other great, amazing things while you are healing this part of you. Yeah. <laughs> Again, that's me making noises instead of crying. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Uh, what, anyway. <laughs> what about the term wounded healer? Wounded healer. Um, gosh, you know what? Hmm. It's weird because I think about myself in some ways and I think like all of us are broken Mm -hmm. and I've put myself back together Mm -hmm. with the help of many amazing people. So does that mean I'm wounded? You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I don't like it so much, Um, Mm -hmm. I guess, maybe because I feel like when I see wounded, when I think of wounded, I feel like other people can see it and that's none of your fucking business. Mm. 
See, I feel that way about broken. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, but maybe it's just because I've heard the word broken from so many clients. I haven't heard the word wounded. And so I think I need to like warm up to the idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and so this is something I've really been bumping up against with ableism and our, like, if we, let's see, rewind, Sarah, say a full sentence so people can understand what you're talking about. So capitalism wants us to be able-bodied and produce, right? And so if we're broken or wounded or whatever the thing is, then we can't produce the thing that we're supposed to produce. And people who are trying to unwind that piece, and I'm saying people because I have not embodied this belief yet, but have the belief that we are whole regardless of our wounds our scars our you know whatever thing our disabilities like all that sort of stuff and that's just it's so interesting that as you said the word broken like i can tell i'm i'm doing something because now the words are like triggering this kind of thought process for me <laughs> but i am really very at the baby stages of unwinding ableism it is still very very alive and very loud within me <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just, I guess all of those words just kind of mess with me. And it's like, I think Mm -hmm. about like, all of my traumas define me. Mm -hmm. They were things that happened to me. They are not me. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's why I don't want to identify with it. Because those are things that happened to me. That doesn't define me. And um, so the idea of saying like I'm wounded like in the present is like ooh I don't mm-hmm. know so I guess I don't like I don't like any of you them. don't like that fine fucking p- throw the you table know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna flip my desk right now flip it I'm <laughs> out of here but I've never done that I want to do it though I do want to do it let's I want to flip it sometime yeah let's do it let's during do, doing the during the live when you and I yeah are sharing the traumas of who's yeah. one-upping each other, and yes. then let's flip it at some point. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. That that would be really satisfying. I can think, like my dining room table is like good and sturdy. Like fucking rah! Yeah. Did yeah. you did you think we would talk about flipping tables in your interview today? No, and it had never occurred to me until today. I want to do it right now. I just really want to flip it. But there's a window in front of me and mm. it, would, it would jack us all up. So maybe after, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us what you're up to these days. Like, what are you doing? If people want to work with you, what does that look like? What you got? What you got cooking? Oh my God, this is so funny. After flipping the table... I'm going to tell now, please you. Please come work with me. I'm a very stable person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. If you like working with badass, crazy bitches, I'm the one for you. Come to Liz. That's great. So, yeah. So I love working with people face to face because I'm an extrovert. But it's just I've realized over time that I've worked with thousands of women and and men too. But I designed a program specifically for this group of women that keep coming to me that are struggling with desire. Mm. They're struggling with like, I don't know that I've ever felt sexually empowered 
or they're like, I used to like it and now I don't. And so they're in this stage of their life mm. where they are at a loss. They're stuck at, of, at trying to figure out how to reignite things for themselves or how to find it. Mm. And so I put together a program. It's four weeks with me. Every week we do um, office hours. I do Q&As and I walk you through the steps to be able to identify what has made you up as a sexual being. And what are you doing in your daily life to extinguish desire? And what could you start doing to start fueling it to be able to figure out like the components of that? And so it's definitely not a cookie cutter program. It's designed to be able to help you work through each week over four weeks to figure out what's it going to take for me to feel sexually empowered? And what's it going to take for me to start feeling desire again in the context of the life that I'm living today? Mm. And you can find it on my website. It's TalkSexWithLiz.com. And if you're not ready for the program, then you can still reach out to me for therapy. I certainly do that. And um, and then if you're not ready for any of those, go find me on TikTok. And I'm I'm doing videos every day. I have so much fun with Are it. Are you serious? That's a lot of work. I'm very impressed. It's actually not because it's the stuff that I talk about every day in session. And one of the great things that I have been able to overcome with TikTok is the expectation of perfection. Because I used to mm -hmm, be mm -hmm. like, I have to look a certain way. I have to articulate things a certain way. Otherwise, it's not going on video. And I got to this place where I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Yep. I am doing this because I care about my people. And I want them to get accurate information. And I know that people have short attention spans, as do I. And so minute, a minute or two, baby, that's all it takes. And I just give you a little bit of info. And I actually have a lot of fun with it. So um, I was watching it for the longest time, having fun watching videos over and over again. And my kids would tease me like, Mom, get off TikTok. It's ours. You're too old. Yeah. You're doing X, right? Yeah. 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 We're allowed to be on there. for that shit. Yeah. Fuck you, millennials. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding, millennials. I love you. Keep listening to the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then finally I just was like, you know what? Fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my own thing. And I What's I, your handle on there? It's talk sex with Liz. That's everything smart. everything is talk sex with Liz. You can find me on YouTube, but I don't have my little name yet because you gotta have a thousand followers for that. So people right. find me and follow me on YouTube for that. But in the meantime, I'm trying to get TikTok famous. My kids tell me I'm not, but I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what matters. Yes. You know what? I'm just, I'm a giver. Well, if you're an extrovert, it's funny because I think, well, two questions and I will ask them both at the same time and then we can go different places. Uh, I guess it's more of a statement as one. I feel like, the pandemic has changed my ability to be my extroverted self. Just I'll put a period there. And then the question I was going to ask related to your offering, have you noticed a shift in women's, I guess maybe the amount of women that come to you struggling with desire since the pandemic started? Has anything shifted in what you're seeing with folks now that maybe wasn't quite as, I guess, like an overwhelming tidal wave before? Mm. I mean, I think the obvious one that probably any non-sex therapist could even guess is that fire needs air. 
And if you are all stuck in the house together, if you and your partner are both working from home, or if your kids are at home with you, when are you going to have the opportunity to start igniting desire? Mm-hmm. You don't have any opportunities. There's an, you never have this alone time. Right. I mean, you got to go park on some, you know, like empty street and try to go <laughs> fuck in the car because you're like, the kids are bugging me and work mm-hmm. is calling. And so I think that that like that in terms of the situation mm-hmm. has made things more difficult and people are a little baffled by that. And I just normalize it because I'm like, well, of course, of because course. you're you're not. Maybe you're not getting dressed up in the way you used to. Maybe mm-hmm. you're not going on dates the way you used to. Mm-hmm. I'm not shaving my legs the way I used yeah, to. Yeah, <laughs> you hear, you know, like, yeah. some, like you're. Are you listening to your partner in meetings? And you're like, oh my god, they're so annoying in meetings. Right. Mm-hmm. Hearing their voice constantly, it's like I just need a fucking break. Mm-hmm. So. I think that that and and then the kids and the stressors and the just where's the normalcy. Hmm. I think that one of the things that really fuels desire for me is going out with my girlfriends mm-hmm. and being able to be in that energy. And if you're not going out and doing that, then you don't get to come home and bring that energy to your partner right, right. or being able to go out and be seen by others as a sexual object. Because I think that there's a positive piece to that is like being able to look and catch the eye of somebody else and be like, oh, yes, I'm checking you out and you're checking me out. That's really hot. I'm going to take that fire. And mm-hmm. if I'm not directing it towards right back at them and going with it, maybe I'm bringing it back home for my partner. But mm-hmm. it's like so many things are just like contained and it's like, so the fire gets put out. It's like that, you know, it's like a pan on the the fire. So I think that that is the piece. But then of course there's mental illness and, mm-hmm. and the more depressed and anxious we get that stifles mm-hmm. desire. You're not going to have, that's going to completely make it much more difficult there's a lot of variables there. I definitely did get much busier than I, I'd ever been. And that's actually when I designed this because I thought, mm-hmm. I can't help all these people. And so many of the other sex therapists I know are full as well. Like we don't even have capacity. And so to be able to give them something other than, you know, Cosmo's top 10 of how to reignite your desire, which is like right. not, not realistic. Right. People need something. And I, I think I've been there. I think all women have been there. There's times in their lives where it's been hard to find the fire and feeling like, is there something broken in me? Because I can't fight my fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, so much of what I'm wanting women to know is that there is nothing broken with you. Your body is calling to be healed. Your body is calling for your voice to say what you need. And when that happens, things will realign. And desire is like, a lot of times it's just common sense for why you don't have desire because your body is needing something else at the time. Mm -hmm. Well, and as our bodies age, what we need changes. And I was just having that conversation with my healer on, on Friday and He's like, yeah, you're 43. Things are a little bit different now. You need me more time to warm up and yada, yada. And I'm like, but I don't want it to be like that. I want it to be like when I was 25 Uh, and everything was easy. Yes, (laughs) yes. Was Mm -hmm. it? Because it was easy, but I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't. I would never go back to 25. But yeah, yeah. I mean, just to have a 25-year-old body with my 43-year-old brain. Yeah, but, but, but did you really enjoy that? 
25 year old oh, body. No. Yeah, you can't. It just doesn't work. That's why I need the 43 year old brain. Yes. Oh, yeah. Then I'd be now like, I, I got a bang and bust. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I can imagine, I can right. see the movie right now. Is there a porno? Right. Is there a porno? Oh, yeah. that Could would be like- a great movie. <laughs> yes. Man. Wow. Well, did you expect this roller coaster of a conversation today? Yeah. Yeah, of course I did. Good. Of course I did. Good. Yeah. Well, is, I mean, we talked about literally, I think, everything, but is there anything else you wanted to say to listeners before we wrap up today? Mm. I I guess I want to like comment on your, when you, but I hope listeners are hearing you when here you are a healer and you're asking another healer, will I ever be healed? Mm -hmm. And so I I hope other people can relate to that in a way that gives them hope is that I think so many of us have been at a point in our lives where we think that this will never pass, but it will. And so many people come to me and they say, Liz, can I be healed? And I'm like, fuck yeah, you can. Of course you can. I just believe that all things can be healed. And when it comes to our minds and, and, and our minds are the ones that are driving what's happening in our bodies. So for me, I, I, I like, I'm just like, uh, duh, of course you can, my darling. Hmm. And I hope all your listeners hear that. Well, you can hold the hope for all of us. Because it's still a question mark for me. But I'll, it's like, I believe, I said this to Daryl too. I was like, I believe you, but I don't believe in my capacity. But, or I think it's like, it comes down to like, I just am broken. That's the thing that I keep coming back to. And so it's, yeah, it's just interesting to know. Like, I know that that is a child consciousness. I know that that is not true, that that's what's the prevalent thought. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and um, we're, we're not doing therapy yeah, right now. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I, but you, but you tempted me. But you tempted. I know, me, so. right? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's good that I know that it's not true, so I don't buy into it. Like I can yeah. just be like, okay, there is that hopeless thing, and that self defeating thing. There it is. Hi. Yeah. How Hi. are you? Hi. And let me shift over to my vision, and so many of my clients, they don't have a vision for their sexual selves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we create all these smart goals for us when it comes to business mm-hmm. or other sorts of things, money, whatever things that we're creating. But are we creating a vision of like, what would it be like for me to be embodied? What would it look like for me to, what do I imagine for myself? And sometimes that's kind of hard to grasp because so much of what we learn about sex is comes from Hollywood and porn. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then it's hard to kind of like find something tangible. And that's what I invite all people to do is to allow yourself the time to be able to sit down and create a vision. And makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for the invitation. <laughs> you're very welcome thank you so much for being here thank you so much for having me i uh, i've loved listening to you and oh, the stories good. that you've shared and i just enjoyed it thank you 
Good. Well, yeah. thank you for adding your voice and your story mm. as well. Yeah, gladly. Thanks so much to Liz for being a great guest today. To learn more about her, go to our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And as always, thanks to Andrea Clunder and the amazing Creative Imposter Studios folks for editing, Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.